building a team, uh, oftentimes this becomes not necessarily a first goal of your law firm, but certainly becomes the most important thing because at some point you only have so much time, you only have so many skills, the better you build a team, um, the more effective you can be. So super excited to have Adam Williams Williams on. For those that don't know, he's the founder of Rust Belt Business Law. His mission is to restore the Rust Belt with entrepreneurship, job creation, and of course, dad jokes. Hence why we get along. Uh, Three blocks down the street from Rust Belt Business Law is the poorest zip code in the entire country. It is the least entrepreneurial city in America, in Adam's words, but they have built a law firm that helps entrepreneurs to prove that it can be done there and to restore the Rust Belt. And honestly, um, Adam is one of my favorite people to follow on social media. Okay, cool. I just went live on my show. Um, and so Adam is one of my favorite people to follow on social media because you get a really good feel of who he truly is as a person in a way that makes sense with what he does, but in a way that makes sense for that he's actually human. So super excited. We're going to talk about the 26,000 reasons to build your team. So not just, um, we'll talk about the employee tax or credit, but then obviously other benefits to the team along those lines. Adam, thanks for being with us today. Happy to be here. This is a good intro. There we go. Well, you gave us most of it and then I follow you enough. I mean, it's, it's funny, you know, we talk, we always talk about personal branding as a marketing strategy, but in terms of actually seeing it in practice, um, I think you do a great job of being actually personable. So, all right. Our last episode was a cool, an awesome episode. We had Brooke Lively on. So it was the three level levers to pull to create a more profitable firm. So Brooke really talked about it from that CFO perspective. Um, and I always love those conversations because everything we do at Legalese on that CFO side ties right into the, or CMO side ties right into that CFO side. And so really cool chat to see about profitability in the firm and whatnot. With that being said, Adam, let's dive in. So how did you end up running a business-focused law firm just down the street from the poorest zip code in America? Oh, I used to be so young and idealistic, right? I was going to change the world. No, so, I mean, my, my parents owned a business growing up, a couple of businesses, but one in particular that was more noteworthy than the others. And, you know, this is the town I was raised in. I've lived other places. I've visited other places. And you know, every book that you read about starting a business, chapter one says, get a good accountant and get a good lawyer. And I decided that I was going to be that lawyer for people. And I'm doing it here because I can see the impact every single day. You know, my, my life would be a lot easier if I was in New York or Chicago or LA or Silicon Valley or Miami or literally anywhere else in the country. But when I drive into the office in the morning, when I go in or when I'm out at night for dinner or whatever, I see the impact that we have on the community and that's, that's really fulfilling to me. So that's why we ended up here. And the hope is that years from now, when Erie turns this corner and the Rust Belt in general turns this corner, people look back and say, gosh, I'm I'm so glad that they did that. And my hope is that I'll be one of they, that they talk about. There we go. I mean, look, you guys were the, uh, the first season of undercover billionaire, right? Was it the barbecue place? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So it's always, it's always interesting to me to see these towns that have like, you've really like seen the change, you know, in our lifetime. Um, I think Cincinnati being another really good example of a town that gone, went from super industrial to now get some more businesses. And so I love that you're able to really see the work of what's going on. It's funny that you mentioned Cincinnati because there, there are specific things that Cincinnati has done that Erie is copying, like groups from our town have traveled there to watch what they're doing. So yeah, that's a great that's a great example. And it is sort of cool to see that sort of renaissance that's going on. So what about you from your perspective of becoming a firm owner? You know, what was that journey like? You know, it was, it was a, 
a journey is a nice way of putting it. I, I'm, I'm watching the Lord of the Rings movies again now, and it's like that. That's the journey that it feels like. Um, you know, I started out like I think a lot of other entrepreneurs. I, I had different jobs and uh, on that journey discovered I am not employable at all. And then I, I did what what a lot of other lawyers do and and hung my hung my shingle and and did the solo thing and was was a true solo for for many years. I was in another firm or I would have you know one or two support staff with me. Um, and then I realized probably about three years ago that if I was gonna have the impact I wanted to have, I needed to grow my team. I needed to have a business, not just a practice. And, you know, that, that journey, particularly in the last three or four years, that's when we've seen the most growth. That's when we've seen the most results. It's also when I've made the most money and had the most sanity and in, had enjoyed the most, you know, the free time outside of the office had the impact that we want to have. So, so for us, growing the team was really essential to accomplishing the things I wanted to accomplish. So, but in terms of, I mean, you talked about unemployability and I love it because I think the most successful entrepreneurs always share in that. Like, what were some of the things though that made you unemployable? So we have somebody listening who's going to be like, oh, I can be successful like Adam because I have that same personality trait. Yeah. yeah. Part of my unemployability was the types of places that I worked. I worked for great companies. I, I was a clerk for a judge. Um but I never really worked for someone who was also entrepreneurial. And in my opinion, uh, and I think a lot of people share this opinion, the only real path to, to freedom that we like to talk about so much, financial freedom, personal freedom, the only path to getting there is being an entrepreneur or working for an entrepreneur who gets it. And I worked for companies that I could clock in nine to five and I had my health insurance and my 401k match and all of these things that I thought I wanted coming out of college and law school. And I realized that it was really stifling to my creativity. People were not always open to my suggestions and solutions, uh, nor did they want to find opportunities and things. And I, I think that's kind of the essence of entrepreneurship. You find a problem and you create an opportunity from it and you pursue that. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But no matter what, that, that process gets pretty uncomfortable for people. And most people in most jobs are very comfortable, even though they may get stressed out, even though they may, may not love their jobs, at least what they do is every day is going to be predictable. And predictable to me is boring. Um, so yeah, I, I think if you're the type of problem, type of person, type of problem, uh, if you're the type of person that recognizes solutions, that sees opportunities, that gets excited about creating those new things, then yes, entrepreneurship may be for you. <laughs> uh, you ever read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? Nope. So he, he has this thing that in essence, he's like, life is not about preventing problems from coming up. It's about being in the position to solve the problems you want to solve. And every time I hear that quote, I'm always like, but as an entrepreneur, it's really wanting to try to solve so many different problems, but hopefully only have to solve them once and then, you know, get somebody else to prevent them from being problems again and whatnot. Yep, absolutely. So when did you start building your team? So with, with Rust Belt Business Law, you know, when did it go from just you? How did you grow it? Where are you at now? 
we we moved into a new office six or seven years ago and at the time it was it was me and, and one secretary and I was in my early 30s. She had been working as a legal secretary, paralegal, longer than I had been alive, right? So I, that was when I first learned the value of hiring people who are really good at what they do, because in a lot of ways, she was better at practicing law than I was, right? And anybody who's had that sort of chill paralegal understands exactly what I'm talking about. So that's, I think, when I first realized uh, the benefit of growing a, a, a team of experts, of, of people who are better than I am at what I do. But still, for many years, instead of hiring people that were better than me, I hired affordable people or helpers instead of replacements. And, you know, we still occasionally make mistakes. But for the most part now, the people that we're bringing into our team impress me every single day because I could not do their job better than they do it themselves. And it took a long time to accept the fact that those people weren't worth the investment. It took a long time and continues to be a lot of work to find those people. And I know you've had Molly McGrath on. She's helped us with that a couple of times. So yeah, I mean, that's that's when we, when we really started to learn hiring people that are better than I am can help grow the business. And then also making sure that we train them on our firm's culture and we train them on the on how we do the things that we do and then sort of unleashing them to go and, and use their, their skills to make that happen. I want to split that up into, into two follow-up questions. So from the hiring side, I mean, look, there's obviously that internal mindset of like, I'm going to spend more money for the right person instead of the affordable one. Other than that, like internal mindset shift, was there anything else at the firm that you had to put in place to be ready to hire those, you know, rock stars, all stars, a players, whatever you want to call them? So when I, when I first started practicing, I, I only cared about cash. Like I'm going to make as much money as possible. And I assumed incorrectly that most employees thought the same thing. So my approach was I'll pay you more money, but you're not going to get benefits. <laughs> and, and over the last few years, I've now gotten to the point where in 99% of the interviews that we do, every single thing they ask for, we're now offering, right? Like there's, there's nothing on the check on the checklist of common requests, health, dental, vision, PTO, dad jokes, those are abundant, uh, 401k match. I mean, all the benefits that we offer now took a long time, uh, short-term disability, long-term disability. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of all of the stuff that we had to offer. So I, I got a great story. I have to share. We talk about short-term disability. Okay. So my buddy goes to work for a, a giant personal injury firm and they give him the potential benefits package. One of those being STD coverage he did not realize was short-term disability. He was like, what am I getting into? What kind of place is this? That's yeah. That's when, when the firm retreat is in Vegas, you know that you're going to need that coverage. So yeah, that's good. Um, so yeah, that was part of it is, is tacking on a bunch of, of benefits. The, the crazy thing is, and I, I tell our clients about this too, because they don't always understand it. I save money that way. It costs me less to provide you health insurance than to pay you more and you go out on the marketplace and get your own, right? Like, I, I, I don't know what it is, but, but employees would rather have me take care of that benefit, which really results in kind of less money in their pocket. So that's been really interesting. So it um, costs yeah. you less direct money or it costs you less because you're not having the turnover of staff? 
cost me like out of pocket is less. It, it, awesome. it costs me less money to provide those benefits than to just pay them more money and, and have them go and get it on their own. Now there's some administrative headache with that, but so not only does it cost less, but obviously our, our return is really good because we have happier, healthier, more fulfilled employees. Um, so that building up that benefits package um, has taken a while and we, we actually do our job ads like we do our marketing that we A-B test different ads to make sure we're getting responses from the right types of people. You know, so our, if, you've, if you've ever seen one of our job ads, my personality comes through loud and clear in those things. There's, there's sarcasm, there's intentional typos just to see if you're paying attention. There's blunt, honest truth about the way that we do things because we're not trying to hide who we are and why we do what we do. And by the time people get through the, the recruiting process and I'm the last interview or maybe the second to last, depending on the position, they're telling me, I felt like this job ad was speaking to me directly. And it's like, that was the point, right? I mean, that's how, that's how good marketing works. So, so, so there's that. And then, you know, every now and then, I shouldn't say that pretty frequently, especially in the town that we're in, although we have a workforce that's all over the globe now, but it's really hard to recruit here. I blame the economy. I blame the town. There's also the fact that, you know, maybe there's just a bunch of people around here that don't like me, but, um, you know, having, having to recruit on a broader scale now, uh, and in different markets has provided its own set of challenges, but, uh, same deal, you know, a a well-written job ad can definitely attract the right types of people. And then you got to make sure that just like any other marketing funnel, you're walking them down the glide path to, to, come into your doors as an employee. So yeah, we, we spend as much time and more money recruiting employees than we do recruiting clients right now. Wow. Sad, but that's what we got to do. And it's working. I mean, our team right now is we've hired four or five people in the last couple of months and the rock, the term rock stars is completely overused, but I'm using the term rock stars. Well, it's like, you know, you talk about spending more money on the employees, but ultimately, like I go back to, um, you know, John, John Strohmeyer talks about like the, the three-legged stool of law firm ownership, right? Like it's you, you're always going to be there. You're the big leg. Then you've got the employees who are, you know, pretty thick bundles. They're going to be there for a long time. And then the clients are basically toothpicks, you know, not that they're less important because you need that to hold the stool up, but there's a thousand clients for 15 employees for one you, you know, that way you have to really trust and empower your employees because they're going to oversee so many clients, whereas the clients are going to see multiple employees. Yeah, that's, I mean, it it sucks getting fired by a client, but it's easy to find replacement clients. It sucks losing employees, especially when they won't even give you the chance of, hey, I've got this issue or this problem or this concern. The best thing someone on a team could do is come to me and say, hey, I have this other thing, this other opportunity. What do you think? And I love those conversations because now now we're like, let's align our goals. But the conversation that bothers me is I've accepted another offer because basically what you're telling me is I don't want to give you a shot. And, you know, your loss. So then you talked about training and obviously this is huge, you know, it goes back to uh, like, what's the quote? Your people are afraid to train their uh, competitors. Instead, they'd rather not train the people who stay or however I'm butchering something along (laughs) the Walk me through a little bit about the training stuff that you all have put in place. Oh man. Um, So that, this is a good example of building a system as an entrepreneur. 
we continue to improve and update this thing. Um, we, all right. It starts before you start working. I'm, I love telling these secrets because I'll, I'll put all my cards out on the table and like, I know that there are firms out there that are going to look at that and go, I'm not putting all that work into that. So, so let me tell you a secret of how we do onboarding and the people who listen to this and adapt it in their own lives are going to be better off. And then most of the rest of the people are going to go back and complain about why is he able to attract all this talent and we can't make it happen. Here's why. But, and I, and I'm, what's funny is the system runs so well right now. I don't even know all the details of it, but before you start working for us, we send you a package in the mail and it's got some of our newsletters and it's got a printed like color agenda for your first few days. And it's a really, it's a, it's a shock and awe package. It's a new client welcome packet that we would send out. Right. If you're in person, we make sure on your first day, you've got like the firm's branded coffee mug on your desk. And we'll usually have a couple books sitting there that we like uh, our team to read the power of Ted, the four agreements, uh, we have a handwritten thank you note from everybody on the team. Welcome aboard. Excited to have you here. Blah, blah, blah. We also make sure on day one that we uh, order lunch for the person. The trick is before they start, we ask them, oh, what, by the way, what's your favorite thing to eat? Like just casual conversation. And then they show up on day one and we've got it for them. Right. So they feel very welcome on day one. Also, though, I. I, I worked in a restaurant before I went to law school. I got fired from that job. Again, not only am I unemployable, but I'm also a really bad server. And I, I'll never forget the first day of training where the, the most experienced server just walked me around all day and said, you always do this and you never do that. And you do this except for these 47 different exceptions. I didn't remember anything. So on day one in our firm, we basically show you where your office is, where the bathroom is and where the kitchen is. Mission accomplished on day one. We'll see you tomorrow, right? As far as the rest of on, like the, the real question that you asked is, is onboarding. We focus on the culture of our firm because it's very important to us. Like the impact that we want to ha have, the way that we do things, the way we treat our clients, the way we require our clients to treat us. So we need you to understand the culture of our firm because if you haven't figured out by now, it's different from, from a lot of other law firms. Not not good or bad, just it's different. We own it, right? Well, good for the right people and bad for the right people. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, not a fit for everybody, for sure. So we, we, we talk about the culture of the firm. So they get a lot of the history of the firm from me. Uh, they get a lot of stories about our clients and the people that we help because that's really cool stuff. Um, so there's some of that. There's always some just mechanics of the office of making sure, you know, somebody's teaching them the systems to log into and all of that boring stuff. And then there's the specifics of the job. And I, I think the first one and the third one, the, the culture of the office and the specifics of the job, that's where we really differentiate ourselves because like most businesses, we're desperate to hire good people. And when they, when they come on on day one, we want them to, to immediately get to work, but that's the worst thing that we can do. We we just had a legal assistant start and we had her go an entire week before she touched an actual client file. Um, my last associate went 30 days uh, of practice, basically. No live ammunition, we say. So we've got some dummy files of real stuff that we did and we say, all right, go draft this or go review this or you received this email from the client 
write out how you would respond. And it's a, it's a lot of testing, a lot of giving feedback. Um, so yeah, like I said, for the, the legal assistant, we went a week. And even now, I think she's three week, weeks into the job. I gave her an assignment today that she thinks is a real assignment and it's not, it's a test, um, which is really interesting because we'll see, I think people, what I learned was people approach tests differently because they know they're being tested. Uh, this one, she thinks it's a real thing and we'll see if the result is any different with it. Um, it's an interesting question. Do people take more effort on the test knowing they're being tested or do they skim through the test knowing it's just a test? I think, I think they, when they know they're being tested, they, they put more effort into it. Um, as silly as that sounds, but you know, when, when they know it's good, the work will always be reviewed, but they right. think it's going to be more closely reviewed, uh, on the test stuff. So they want to, they want to approach it differently, but I don't know the way that we review things, not always the case. So, so yeah, we, I mean, I, I don't remember the number cause I had our last associate started probably four months ago, but I think in his first month, it was something like a hundred hours of training um, before he was able to actually do any real work. And that we, we see the difference there in the results that we get for our clients. You know, like I said, the way that we do things is different and it's, it's not just teaching people like word for word, perfect checklist. Here's how you do every single thing that we do. Cause you can't like the practice of law needs to be a little more custom than that. What we're really teaching people is, here's why we do the things that we do. And if you come up with a similar situation, here's the criteria that you should use to evaluate the right answer on it, you know? Um, and, and in about, in a month of onboarding, we can get a lot of that through. And then we, we continue to train on it. Um, at least once a month at our team meetings, we'll offer some sort of new learning experience for people or a reminder of something that's really important. So yeah, that's a really long-winded answer to your onboarding question, but we put a lot of time and effort into it. Dude, that's, I, I can trace back, it gets funny, you know, from a marketing standpoint, I think a lot of law firms don't have a marketing problem, they have a sales problem. From a hiring standpoint, I think a lot of firms don't have a hiring problem, they have an onboarding or a training problem. And so, you know, as much as you think this is the long answer, I think that's exactly what some people need to hear to understand why they're having such turnover or why they're not having employees meet expectations or, you know, whatever. Well, the, and the, especially, especially for law firms, small law firms, like single shareholder law firms, what happens is, we give someone something to do, it's for a client, they screw it up and then we have to go and fix it. So now it's taken even longer. And and what, what happens to the, the lawyer is they're unwilling to delegate the thing that they hired the person to do. So if we can do it in a low pressure situation where there's not a client waiting on the other end and we can train on the mistakes, we really empower our employees to learn and grow versus I gave you this thing to do. I give you no background information. I give you a really short timeline to do it. And then when you did it wrong, I became an asshole about it. And I know I have a tendency to do all of those things in the real world. So we built the system to avoid that. I love that. All right. So I want you touched on the concept of culture. Um, and I think that's one of those buzzwords that's super important, but we don't necessarily go deep on it. So I'm curious in terms of you conveying the company culture internally, what are some of the tips, tricks, steps you've taken to do that? Because I think that's an easy thing to say, not, not against you, against other firms, but ultimately yeah. the more that we do specifically build this culture, the more we make sure our employees are in the right mindset to make the right decisions when things aren't directly in a policy or procedure or whatever. This is a work in process for us. 
I okay. know we don't have it right, but I know we get better at it all the time. Where I screwed up with culture is I made our culture aspirational. Here's what we want to be. And then what would happen, and I don't want to give any specific examples, but if, sure. if, you've, if you've got, uh, what, if one of your core values is perfection, right? And then your employees come in and there's like, you know, the paint is nicked on the door and uh, the parking lot, the, all the salt out there, there's potholes and it's not perfect. They're going, who the hell is this guy? Like perfection? This is not. So what I realized for, for things like core values is they have to be how we actually are. So it's, it's not what we want to be. It's what are we? So I, I kind of went on this little journey of self-discovery of like, who am I and what am I about and what's my truth? And then I realized the more I talk about that, the more I attract people like me. I mean, there's a reason I am the way that I am on social media. It's because I am actually that person and it's super off-putting to some people, right? Um, So the culture is the same thing. If we really embrace who we are and why we do what we do, and it's, it's really cool. Like I'm like the proud father of when I see the team do things without my direct involvement that are the way that I would do it. Like that is just so awesome to see. And, and just some, some things that just sort of have grown naturally in our firm without me having to plant the seed. So I'll give you a stupid example, but it's, it's just, it's an example. Every day at eight 45, we have a team meeting and it's on zoom. We got people in the office. we got people overseas all over the state. And someone decided a few months ago that they were going to use the little calendar on the receptionist desk to read the mystery of the day. So at 845, we read the mystery and then someone guesses the answer and everybody, you know, the winners get points. What's brilliant about it, though, is she starts reading the card at exactly 845. So if you're late for the meeting, you miss the question of the day and you don't have an opportunity to score the point. So it's like this this fun, creative, get your juices flowing thing. We always laugh about it. Everybody gets super pissed off because I'm so good at it and they think I'm cheating. That's how all the contests in the office go. Um, but it, I, I mean, that's just sort of a thing that like we're having fun. It takes 60 seconds. It convinces people to show up for this meeting on time because you know how it is with Zoom. You log in the moment the thing is supposed to start. And I, I had nothing to do with creating that. It's just the team that we've developed And now, you know, the team is making a custom scoreboard and it looks like something from the office. And I don't know, it's just, it's super cool to see stuff like that happen. And it's like, all of a sudden I'm working in this place. That's the type of place that I want to work in. Who knew that was possible? So the, uh, the Rusties, the Belties, the Eries, there'll be some awards that come out of this with uh, the the Rusties is good. That's like a, uh, that's like a cars reference, right? So, all right. Now, now I got an idea. I'm going to make a note of that. There we go. So, um, I love that. And it's, and honestly, like that is the, that is the difference between everything falling on you as a job and having a business that doesn't need you on the day to day as the business owner. I mean, they're, they're taking these things and and going forward with them to get exponential growth for the whole company. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's a really like not work product related example, but there's examples of things that happen in the firm for clients that, they're coming to me for forgiveness and not permission. And I'm going, oh, you did the right thing here. Like <laughs> there's nothing to change about it. And that building that team to this point is, has been really fulfilling for us. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because the, the one that stands out the most for me is one of the employees was like, hey, can we get a stamp with our address on it? And I was like, sure, why? And they're like, because I fill it out on every piece of certified mail for all of our, you know, filings and pleadings and on this stuff and on that and whatever. And we figured out, like, they were putting our address in about 15 times per day. And now it's a stamp. And that saved, you know, 10 seconds of time times 15 times times every day times whatever. It was great. Uh, Plus the, the mental oh, exhaustion and frustration of, oh, I'm writing our address for the hundredth time today. And that's it, what's crazy is like we we assume as entrepreneurs that our employees are thinking that way. We assume they're in the problem-solving business like we are, but they're not. So prior versions of my team, when I moved into this office, I, I redeemed all my credit cards to get our photocopier. You know, it was like this four or $500 thing. And a few years later, when we upgraded to like the least copier that does all the pages and stapling and collating, even though I don't even know what that is, my team was like, oh, we're so glad that you did this because we used to spend hours a day unjamming that prior photocopier. It's like, why didn't you, why didn't anybody tell me? Like, all you got to do is say, Adam, this copier sucks. We need a new one. And Adam goes and gets you a new one, but no one said anything about it. Instead, they wait until I fix it. And it's this, oh, thank God for doing that. Now we've got a team that would come and tell me, hey, this, this copier is horrible. The Wi-Fi isn't acting the way that it should. My chair is uncomfortable. You know, whatever they need to work better, uh, they come to me and, and tell me about. And, and what's even better now is the team has grown to the level where my assistant knows if I complain about something three times, she has unlimited authority to fix it. doesn't matter what it is, right? So I my old office used to be too hot. And I remember I came back from a trip and she literally moved me into another room in the building and had actually like taken a picture of my desk and my credenza and everything was in the same place and same location and the books were stacked in the same order. It was just, I was in a gray room now and not a blue room. I mean, it was, it was, it was cool. Um, and it's, it's, it's nice to have a team that solves the problems on their own, knowing the criteria I would use to solve those problems. And uh, unrelated, but collating. So if you're printing a multiple page document, collating gets all of them together rather than like page one, the whole way across. It's the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing. I get it wrong every time. So it doesn't matter. I, I have somebody else do that for me. I should make a checklist, like a, put a little post-it note on the printer. It's the printing version of a uh, subway tessellating your cheese. <laughs> all right. I get it. Now you're relating it to something I know. $5 footlongs. So good. All right. So as we, uh, I want to transition to the employee tax credit, but before yep. that, any other tips or things we want to talk about when it comes to building a team, hiring a team, maintaining a team, et cetera. I, I think your firm needs a personality and I think the personality comes from the owner and don't be afraid to hide it. I mean, I, I don't care what type of, think of the most boring area of the law you can practice. And there's some way to, to own why you do that thing. Uh, and don't be ashamed of that. Like really, really talk about it, really promote it, and you'll attract your your tribe. Love that. Awesome. All right. So now I want to transition. So our, our 26,000 reasons to build a team, we're talking about the employee tax credit here. So, and I, I maybe I butchered the name of it. You're the, fill, fill me in here. Yeah. So th this is another great example of, we. I found an opportunity. Not that I'm like some super genius, but when the, uh, when the pandemic hit, as a business law firm, we knew that we would do better if our clients did better. So we jumped in and learned all the, the PPP and the idle and the paid leave and all of those new programs. And 
a lot of those programs got the headlines, they got the focus of our, our clients. But when, when they passed the CARES Act in whatever, late March, early April, 2020, there was this employee retention credit or the employee retention tax credit. I call it the employee retention credit, ERC. And nobody really paid attention to it because at the time you could only get the tax credit or a PPP loan and everybody went after PPP loans, despite my comments that maybe they should consider this alternative. Fast forward to March of 2021 and the law changed and you could do both. You could get a PPP loan and the credit. So we completely dove headfirst into this thing, learned everything we could about it. There's only a few hundred pages of guidance from the IRS about it. It helps to have a working, what's that? Is it better or worse that there's only a couple hundred pages of guidance? You know, from a lawyer perspective, it creates gray area and that gray area is where the opportunity is. So I I think it's better. Um, There's not a lot of precedent, basically. So I think you can take some, some very reasonable positions that non-lawyers who don't understand this stuff are completely missing out on. So this was my real friend. I was like, I'm not the type of guy to get into arguments on the internet. I was getting into arguments on the internet because people would say, oh, my accountant said I won't qualify, or I won't qualify because of this one single reason. And, you know, caps lock on Adam Williams, you know, citing the pages of IRS regulations, not the type of person that I am, but it, it was driving me crazy because people just weren't understanding this thing. And then suddenly I realized there's there's probably an opportunity for us to make money here. Nobody understands this thing. Clearly nobody wants to figure it out. So we'll just go do that and we'll charge a fee for it. So that's where the opportunity came from. Um, this credit, if you have employees, it's a refundable tax credit, which is the best type of tax credit doesn't matter how much you paid in taxes. You get a check from the IRS, like money to put in your bank, cash, not credit against future taxes, not a a limit, just money. So our average claim for small law firms right now is a little over $100,000. I think it's 105 or 106,000. You say 26,000 because the maximum credit is 26,000 per employee. There's a lot of nuance on how to get, come up with that number. There's a limit for 2020. There's a limit for each of the first three quarters of 2021. That all adds up to 26,000. But but the idea with this program is where the PPP and the idle were really like a lifeline, like let's rescue these businesses that are shut down. The ERC is your reward for making it work as a business owner and keeping your employees around. And That's, I think, the beauty of the program is most of the clients that I'm talking to and that our team is working with, you know, they had to dip into personal savings, they had to pivot, they had to find a way to make it work. They really sacrificed as owners to keep their people on payroll. And now getting this money back, some of them, it's just paying off some debt, others, it's, it's, you know, really a a good reward for, for making the thing work. So I don't know if you want to, do we want to talk about, you know, the specifics of how you're eligible or the things you should consider? Or how much do we, how much do we want to get into the weeds on this thing? That, that was going to be my next question is okay. what, what are the eligibility requirements? Yep. So, so one way to qualify <laughs> is to get the spreadsheet that we have and, and look at your revenue. If you had a really big revenue decline in any quarter of 2021 or in any quarter of 2020 compared to 2019, you can qualify. 
this is the way that most people are looking at it and they stop the analysis after this. And it's kind of a, it's a high threshold. Like you got to suffer a, a 50% or 20% revenue decline. And uh, personal injury lawyers are a good example. Your revenue in 2020 was fine. You didn't, you, you didn't have an impact because you were still settling the cases that you had for the most part. But the pipeline of cases you were signing up that would be settling now or six months ago, that's where you really saw the effect. So there's really been a disservice done to law firm owners in particular that didn't suffer the big revenue decline or um, the law firm owners that pivoted, that found a way to make it work. Make it work. So we've had you know, immigration lawyers who started doing more estate planning, right? So they, they kept the revenue up, even though it was a complete change to their, their business practice. Or the estate planning lawyers who do like in-person seminars and events, they started doing webinars, for example, or found other ways to market. So, so the revenue decline is one way to qualify. That's where the analysis stops for most people. And that's why it's such a huge disservice is because there's another way to qualify. And it's either or, it's not and. So the other way to qualify, I'll oversimplify it. Basically, if government shutdown orders had a big impact on your business. And Again, most people are saying, well, I was only shut down for a couple of weeks or I was an essential business. And that's not the analysis. That's not the analysis. That's, that's this couple hundred pages of guidance from the IRS. It's a much lower threshold than that. So we've been able to take the position for firms that go to court, for example. So PI, criminal defense, family law, immigration, if your courthouses were shut down and you couldn't access them, you couldn't settle cases, you couldn't get prosecutors to reach any resolutions because there was no pressure of a trial, or when things did open back up, there were huge backlogs, there were huge delays. I I don't think that a virtual trial is equivalent to an in-person trial from like a trial advocacy perspective. So all of these different ways were, were able to make the argument that businesses qualify. And the thing that we can do as a law firm that other businesses can't do is we actually issue a written opinion letter that says, yeah, you qualify. Like we've done this analysis in good faith. This is a reasonable position. And that actually protects you from the IRS if they ever come and audit you. Mm. So that's one part of what we do is the eligibility piece. Very thorough analysis doesn't take a ton of involvement from the business owner. You know, we'll have a, a 15 to 20 minute phone call and then we do all the work uh, after that to, to issue the opinion letter. And then the other part of it is, thank goodness I'm married to a CPA, we'll actually do the whole calculation, prepare the returns and file the returns for you. And th these are amendments to your payroll tax returns. There's kind of a nuance to it. Um, so, you know, you'll know after we after we get the documents from you and process all of this it, it's an incredible amount of math to figure this out but you know we're i i'm going i i went to this client and said hey you know three hundred and seven thousand dollars you had a pretty good sized firm and he goes what happens if they don't send me the money i said they're gonna send you the money like we we did they're processing your tax return just like any other tax refund that you get and he said if i get three hundred seven thousand dollars i'll buy you a rolex fine. A couple months later, package arrived in the mail, not a Rolex. I actually oh. didn't want a Rolex. That's a okay. thing that I have, but it was, it was a watch that I wanted Uh tag Heuer. If you must know, um, it was a tip. Like the client paid his fee, but was in such disbelief that 
to the dollar of what we calculated, the IRS sent him a check. Uh, and his firm was hit pretty hard. So he was desperate for that cash when it showed up. Uh, and we've we've got examples like that. I think we have clients in 38 states right now with this thing. And it's it's I'm still getting ar in arguments on the internet because there's so many misconceptions. I got a PVP loan. I can't get this tax credit. Yes, you can. I got a second round PVP loan. I can't get this tax credit. Yes, you can. I wasn't shut down. You can still get it. I mean, it, it's it's incredible the amount of misconceptions. Um, there are limits on like employer size depending on the the year, but it's up to a hundred employees for, for some periods. Like that's a huge amount of money that you can claim through this thing. So it's been a huge opportunity for us because it's, it's new, it's novel, it's confusing, it's intimidating because it's the IRS. It's this beautiful combination of law and, uh, and accounting work. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a huge opportunity for us. And what's really fulfilling for me is helping other law firms with it. You know, they, I, I've got an affinity for law firms, I guess, being a, a solo owner. So it's really, really good to be able to, to help. So for anybody listening or watching, so for anybody listening or watching this, who wants to send you another watch, how did they get started? Yeah. yeah. So we, we set up your landing page, Jordan, it's rustbeltlegal.com forward slash Jordan uh, landing yeah. page. It's got some basic information. There's a video on there. Uh, we've got a guide that we produced on this credit, which goes into more detail than I went into now. So you can download that for free right on that website. And to be clear, Jordan is not getting any benefit for this. This was, I think, just to uh, to track the results of who goes to it. So, you know, if you want me to look good, go to the website for my benefit. Yeah, I'm, I'm not giving you anything. I just want to see how successful your podcast is. <laughs> hey, you and me both, Adam. You and me both. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So... Um, anything else as we start to wrap up? I don't think so. I, I, I guess the big thing with the, the, the ERC is don't talk yourself out of it. Like we will talk to you for free. If we can't help you, we won't charge you. It's contingency work. There's a small deposit that we get, but don't talk yourself out of free money from the government. If you think it's too risky or if you're not certain, at least have the conversation with someone from our team before you make a decision that could cost you a whole bunch of money. Really love it. All right. So let me talk about, um, I'm actually going to talk about our next two episodes just in case. So next week, so next Thursday at 1130 Eastern time. So a couple hours before this episode, we're going to have Stacey Randall back on. Um, for those that don't know, Stacy talks follow up on Stacy was on before, uh, but there's been some other things that we want to discuss from there. And then the week after that, so 922. So in two weeks, also Thursday at 130 Eastern time. So the same time you watch this episode, but in two weeks from Tom Labaton, Tom does cybersecurity. So we're talking about cybersecurity threats in 2022, the best practices for solo lawyers and small law firms. And I will tell you, there are some crazy, interesting uh, scams or threats going on. I mean, there are ones that are emailing all of your employees and saying, Hey, I'll cut, you know, I'll give you a cut of it when we uh, unfreeze the stuff. And they do like, that's the crazy part is it's not a, uh, like that part of it is not a scam. The firm owner paying to get access to all their client files before they have to report to the bar, you know, they're the ones getting scammed out of it. So very interesting to hear some of the stuff that Tom has to share with us on best practices. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'll give one up. Don't write your password down on the side of your monitor for logging into everything in the computer, you know, little, little I guess I'm, I'm going to move this post-it note now. So. Yeah, there we go. 
All right. So with that being said, we've covered um, quite a bit of stuff here, Adam. If anybody's been listening for the last 45, 50 minutes, remembers nothing you said, what would be your biggest nugget of wisdom, your most important takeaway to help more firm, firm owners become the exhibit A of a successful lawyer such as yourself? You know, it, the common wisdom is, is hire slow and fire fast. Uh, we talked about hiring slow. We talked about onboarding slow. I think it sometimes can be good to fire slow also, though. I think there's more opportunity for training and development and coaching. So you've got to make sure that you attract people who are willing to learn and accept feedback. But before you, if, if someone, if a new employee makes one mistake and you write them off and you never delegate to them again, or you just decide to fire them, I think you're making a huge mistake. No, I totally agree. I'm, I'm always a big fan of like having that discussion where it's like, all right, what else do you need to feel hundred percent comfortable in your job? You know, like what's the missing link. And then once that is it's like, all right, well now the accountability is on you. Like, you know, we had, we had the training, we had the onboarding, we had the follow-up. You didn't ask for any extra help or any other, you know, reminders. And then here we are. So I'm yeah. And we, we try to get buy-in from the team. We try to agree, like, here's the standard, here's the expectation, here's the KPI. And if it doesn't get hit, then we can say, you know, we agreed, you agreed that this was going to be your number. What can we do to support you in hitting it? Awesome. So for anybody who's listening to this, who wants to stay in touch with you, what's the best place for them to follow you? So most social media accounts, it's cars, coffee, capitalism. I didn't, I got sick of people reaching out to me for legal advice. So I talk about a bunch of other stuff. So yeah, Instagram. Um, I spend a lot of time on Instagram. You can look me up on Facebook. That's just under my name. And then of course our, our firm is Rust Belt Legal. But we've also got an Instagram account for Team Rust Belt because we're using that for recruiting. It's a separate website. It's a separate social media account. Um, so any of those places. I think we share some pretty cool stuff on the Team Rust Belt account because we're trying to show how fun and hip we are. There we go. I love it. And then uh, totally selfishly for me. So I'm 99% sure it's Deep Work, the book behind you on the top. Yeah. What's the book underneath it? Uh, good to Great. Gotcha. Jim Collins. Yeah, so we're we are in the process of implementing EOS in our firm, and we hired an implementor who is that's part of our homework for uh, working with him. Is we have to read that book. There we go. Well, so Thane, if you're listening to this, I handed you our copy of Deep Work. I think that would uh, benefit, and then good to great as a. Uh, I think Jim Collins, I think, has probably two or three of the uh, the top business books across the board. Yeah, deep deep work was a game changer for me. I I spend a lot of time on on productivity and time management, and that's been an outstanding book. I love it. I just always think of Bobby Newport from Parks and Rec every time I see the uh, deep work. Yeah, it's good. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. And to everybody who has listened to watch this, we'll see you back next Thursday for Stacey Brown Randall and in two weeks for Tom Labot. With that, have a wonderful week. Thanks, Jordan.